0: Good morning again. So I know that you thought this series is going to be called Pirates. It's actually pirates, because we're going to be stretching and exercising and working out and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now really, this is a series called Pirates, and it's called Pirates because it's about all about treasure. And in your program this morning is a, a sermon notes form. I hope that you will take notes and... Uh, As Evan mentioned, it may be challenging from time to time to see what's on the screen, so I'll try to speak real loud so you can hear and how to fill in those blanks. apologize for that. You know, uh, one thing that all pirates seem to have in common is that they're uncommonly possessive of the possessions of others. Let me just repeat that for us. One thing that all pirates seem to have in common is that they're uncommonly possessive of the possessions of others. Would you agree with that? They have this motto that says, uh, we have what it takes to take what you have. And if you've ever seen the movie Hook, you, you know that even Peter Pan became a pirate. We can all become pirates. There's a key statement that we're going to unpack in this series. And you're going to hear it over and over again. But here it is for the first time. What we think we own, what we think we own is really on loan. Would you say that with me? What we think we own is really on loan. And as we're going to see in this series, this principle is is really a big deal to God. So I want you to be aware of this right up front. We're going to to be talking in this series about money and stuff. We're going to talk about treasure. But before you run out of the room screaming, uh, may I ask you to simply consider taking this voyage with us, just uh, having the conversation. And, you know, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with you not agreeing with anything I'm going to say. Um, you don't have to agree with me, but will you please consider investing this time, these weeks, um, to hear what God has to say about money and about treasure. I hope you will. You know, if we're really honest uh, we we will admit a couple of things. First, that a lot of the, the moments when we doubted God the most, many of the times when we've experienced the greatest struggle with trusting Him, have centered around this issue of money and stuff, money and possessions. And a lot of the major points of conflict in our marriages and in our families center on Values and habits and behaviors related to money and stuff. In fact, it's one of the primary reasons that marriages fail. And if we're really, really honest, we will admit that, that our attitudes toward money and possessions have derailed and are derailing many of us in our spiritual development. The values, the attitudes, the habits that just cluster around our relationship to money is for many of us the major obstacle that's preventing us from pursuing and fulfilling God's purposes for our lives. The things that he has been calling us to do and to be. When you came in this morning, you, as you sat down, you should have found one of these in your chair. Um you hold that up if you've got one now that's for you when i was a kid these were called chinese finger traps it's probably not politically correct to call them that anymore i, I don't know I, I don't know why they're called that probably because they're made in china I don't, I don't know first experience of mine with this was at an elementary school carnival i think but just take that in your hands and and push your pointer fingers into either end would you just do that with me right now and then when you, when you try to pull out, okay, go ahead, what happens? You're stuck, right? And the reason we've given you these morning these this morning is to illustrate, illustrate a simple truth that, that when we think about God and money, what he really wants for us is freedom. He wants us to experience financial freedom. But what most of us try to do is pull away. From what God has to say. And when we do, we don't experience the freedom that He wants for us. We don't experience the freedom that we thought we would achieve by pulling away from God's plan and purpose. But instead, we find ourselves trapped, frustrated, exasperated, captive, longing for freedom in the area of our finances. See most of what we think and feel about God's instructions regarding finances is wrong. And as Matt reminded us last week, God's wisdom is countercultural to everything that that your heart says, to what you naturally think. So I just want to ask you this morning, will you instead of pulling away just push in for a few weeks. Just push in. Will you please consider taking this voyage, this journey with us? And here's something else we'd like to ask you to do. I want you to take your finger trap and put it in a place where you're going to see it. Maybe you put it in your bathroom. Maybe you hang it from the mirror of your car. Students, put it in your lockers at school. So that in those moments when you're tempted to pull away from God's plan and purpose for your money and your stuff, that you'll be reminded that freedom comes not from pulling away, but from pushing in. You know, you and I can be pirates. And we become pirates when we begin to think that we are in control of everything in our lives especially our finances and our material possessions. Take a look at this clip of a guy who didn't get this principle. You may not be able to see it. You'll hear it. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog-bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> if you recognize the voice, who was that? Jimmy Stewart from the movie Shannon his, his character in that movie is a pirate. He's a pirate. He, he didn't understand what we're discussing this morning, something called the principle of ownership, the principle of of ownership. We've all pulled a Jimmy Stewart in our lives. I've done it, you've done it. Turn in your Bible with me to Genesis 22, 1 through 8. And we're going we're to look at the Jimmy Stewart of the Old Testament, a guy named Abraham. Abraham didn't master the principle of ownership until very, very late in his life. Notice that Genesis 22 and verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Will you repeat those three words with me? God tested Abraham. Let's say it again. God tested Abraham. Abraham had been failing a test all of his life. And God was now, now allowing him to take the test yet another time. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Would you repeat those last four words with me? The region of Moriah. Again, the region of Moriah. If you have a Bible, you can write in, underline those four words, because we're going to come back to them in just a few minutes. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Good question, right? He's no dummy. Abraham answered, God himself will provide. God himself will provide. Let's just pause there for a moment as well. Underline those four words, and let's say that those together. God himself will provide. The lamb for the burnt offering, God will provide, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, if you're horrified by this story, welcome to the club. It raises all kinds of disturbing questions. Among them, did Abraham really believe that God was going to provide a lamb? Here's the deal. Here's what was going on. God was allowing Abraham yet another opportunity to pass the test of ownership. What we think we own is really on loan. Abraham's about 115 years old. He's been failing the test of ownership all of his life. And for background, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 for just a moment. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 and then fill you in on some other important facts. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. Now if we read on, we would discover that not long after they arrived in Canaan a famine came. Uh, the interest rate on the adjustable rate mortgage Abraham had taken out on his tent spiraled upward. The price per gallon for fuel for the donkey, that, that skyrocketed past $4 and was approaching 5 Abram said, let's get out of here. So they went down to Egypt. <clears> the <throat> Bible says that Abram's wife, Sarah, or Sarai, was a knockout. A very beautiful woman, a brick house. And Abraham was afraid that he would be killed by someone who wanted to make Sarah his wife. So he said, don't tell them that you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. (laughs) Some of the servants of Pharaoh noticed her And told Pharaoh about the beautiful Hebrew woman who had just arrived. And Pharaoh went, sent for her, took her into his court, was making preparations to marry her. And and right at that moment, there was a plague that suddenly struck all of Pharaoh's house. And people were dying. But here's what Pharaoh understood that Abraham hadn't learned yet. Pharaoh understood this principle of ownership. And he asked Abraham, what have you done? Why did you do this to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And he sent Abraham and Sarah and all their servants and all their stuff packing. Pharaoh might have killed all of them for what they had done but he understood this principle of ownership he recognized that he was up against something or someone who was far bigger than he and who was in possession of far greater power and authority Abraham on the other hand failed the test of ownership What you think you own is really on loan. If you read Genesis 2, you come to understand that even your breath is borrowed. Even your breath is a deposit. What you think you own is really just on loan. We're going to come back to Abraham momentarily but I want to introduce you to someone who got it right his name was David King David of Israel turn to 1st Chronicles 29 verses 10 through 14 in your Bibles or, or scroll to that on your screen David had just come off of a successful fundraiser um, the people had given generously sacrificially to vision next to, uh, to purchase the materials to build a permanent temple for God in Jerusalem. And God had told David, Hey David, um, I know you have this grand vision, this grand dream, and I gave you this vision and I gave you this dream. But David, you're not going to build the temple because you're a warrior. You have blood on your hands and you're going to prepare for the construction but it's your son Solomon who's going to actually do the building. But notice the repetition of the word you in this passage, you and your, as, as I read. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power of And the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. see David at at least at this point in his life had a firm grasp on this principle of ownership that what you think you own is Really on loan. David says in effect, Wow, I I just can't believe it, God. You've blessed me far beyond anything I could ever have asked or even imagined. David knew that he was a completely unlikely candidate for the kinds of blessings that he had received from the hand of God. He was the eighth son of his father. You ever thought about that? In Hebrew literature... The number seven is the number of perfection. David was number eight. An add-on, an afterthought. Maybe even an accident. David was from a place that no one wanted to be from. He was from Bukota. No, i kidding. He's he from Bethlehem. His family was obscure. His father was obscure. Most of the time his whereabouts were... Obscure because he had a job nobody else wanted. He was a shepherd. Not a particularly respected profession at the time. And on top of all of that, David didn't look like a leader, apparently. On the day that God sent Samuel to anoint David to be king of Israel, Samuel was almost fooled because David didn't look like the leader Samuel expected to see. And so he first looked at all of David's brothers. david 's high school class he might have been voted least likely to succeed, but David understood something he understood this principle of ownership and on the best known day of his life, David confronted a Philistine champion named Goliath and this guy was big he was he was over nine feet tall, the armor that covered the upper part of his body uh, a loan that weighed about 125 pounds of bronze. Add to that a bronze helmet, bronze greaves on his legs, a, a bronze javelin that he wore in a scabbard over his back, and he could still maneuver fairly effectively in up close combat. The head of his spear, all by itself, not including the shaft, weighed 15 pounds, and he also carried a sword and a shield. But David wasn't impressed. David wasn't intimidated because David understood the principle of ownership. And he stood there in the valley that day with with his sling in his hands, five smooth stones in his bag. And here's what he said to Goliath. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As Goliath moved closer to attack David, David ran to meet him. His sling whirring alongside of him. And he let loose with the first of those five smooth stones. And the first shot hit Goliath square in the center of his forehead and killed him instantly. See, what you think you own is really on loan, and Goliath failed to understand that. He may have thought that he owned the Israelite army, because for several days it seemed that he did. But Goliath trusted in his superior size, in his superior strength, in his weapons, his armor, even in the intimidating effect of his own reputation as a killing machine. But David understood the principle of ownership. And knowing and understanding this principle and knowing the owner gave David clear perspective, gave David absolute confidence. And so David, late in his life, in the closing days of his reign, says to God, but who am I? Who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give so generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given given you only what comes from your hand. Who am I that you would bless me? You know what? Uh, Most of us intuitively understand ownership. Even people who consider themselves to be unbelievers. When someone's waiting for the approval of a loan on a home or a car, if they want to buy, what what do they do? They pray. Oh, God. Even unbelievers intuitively understand ownership. Pharaoh got it. His immediate conclusion when the plague hit his court was that he had somehow offended the owner. He wasted no time seeking it out and dealing with it. See, what you think you own, it's really on loan. Let's get back to Abraham. Genesis chapter 16, if you'll turn there. See, one day Abraham was complaining to God. He said, God, you've given me no children, so when I die my estate's going to go to one of my servants. So God came to Abraham on a starry night and said, you see those stars, Abraham? See them? I mean, just imagine the stars that Abraham could see. No city lights, no artificial light of any kind. The Israeli night sky, the Middle Eastern night sky. Abram looked up into the sky and he saw millions of stars, and God said, "Can you count those stars?" Abraham? Here's my promise to you. You're going to have so many descendants that you could never begin to count them. But time went on. God had made his promise. Time went on, no child, no descendant, no heir was born and by this time Sarah and Abraham were over a hundred years old and Sarah said God hasn't given us a son Abraham and look at you you're not getting any younger you're an old dude we're going to have to help God out you see my servant girl Hagar over there Abraham looked and said yeah why Sarah said, I think you should sleep with her and we'll have a son that way. Abraham looked at Hagar and looked at her again. He said, I, I think that's a good idea. And so he did. And Hagar became pregnant and bore a son named Ishmael. Problem solved, right? Right? Wrong. See, make no mistake, this, this was a socially acceptable solution to the difficult problem of the inability to have children of one's own in those days. The problem was that in their case, it was just another failure of the test of ownership. And in time, Sarah began to hate Hagar and her son Ishmael. And so they ended up sending the two of them away into the desert to fend for themselves and perhaps to die. And of course, not much later, God fulfilled his promise and Sarah became pregnant in her old age and gave birth to Isaac, whose name means laughter. If only, if only they had waited on God. See, Isaac is the son of God will provide. Ishmael is the son of I did it my way. The descendants of Isaac are the Hebrews, the Jewish race, the descendants of Ishmael are the Arab nations. And for thousands of years, right to today, January 6th, 2019, these two brothers have experienced nothing but resentment, conflict, and war. All stemming from one failed test of ownership. So let me ask you this morning, how are you doing with the test how are you doing with the test of ownership the answer to that question involves things far beyond money and material stuff it goes also to relationships Abraham said on the mountains of Moriah I don't own my son he is just on loan to me from the Lord You and I don't own our children. We don't own our spouses. We don't own our friends. And when we fail to pass the test of ownership, when we refuse to say with David, oh Lord, everything, everything in heaven and on earth is yours, here's what we do. We we leave a trail of brokenness. Personal brokenness, relational brokenness, missional brokenness behind us. How are you doing with the test? Young people, single adults, you can fail the test of ownership when you want a relationship with someone so badly that you force God's hand and you enter into a relationship that's, that's not of God's design. And when you marry someone that you know God would not choose for you because they're unbelievers. Some people are living with deep bitterness in their lives today because God hasn't orchestrated their relationships the way they wanted him to. And we inevitably fail the test of ownership when we refuse to involve God in our thinking and our feeling and our planning. Before I close, let's look at one more passage. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 9. Remember, Abraham had been failing this test of ownership all of his life. And now he's on Mount Moriah, and God has asked him to do the unthinkable the unimaginable, the ultimate test of ownership to offer his one and only son, the son of promise as a sacrifice. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. You ever wondered whether Isaac resisted? We're not told that he did, so we have to assume that he did not. But are you catching any parallels here to something that would happen in the future? An only son, a child of promise, with wood on his back, walking up a hill where he would be willingly offered as a sacrifice but the angel of the lord called out to abraham from heaven abraham abraham here i am he replied do not lay a hand on the boy he said do not do anything to him now i know that you fear god because you have not withheld from me your son your only son Will you underline these in your Bible? Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God. And above the word fear, will you write the word trust? God says, Abraham, you've passed the test. I know that you trust me. And, and I know that you know that I'm the owner because you have not withheld from me your son. Your one and only son. By the way, when we come to child dedication here at Life Point, it's really all about having settled the matter of ownership in advance. Of saying, My, my children are on loan to me from God, and so I willingly release them to his authority and to his leadership. No, notice now how he concludes. In verses 13 to 18, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Because you have obeyed me. The Lord will provide. See, as Abraham and Isaac were climbing up one side of the hill, God was sending a ram up the other side. God had already provided. You want to know something interesting? It was It was on these mountains that the city of Jerusalem now stands. Want to know something even more interesting? It was on this very mountain that Solomon would build the temple. And the Jews believed that the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, in the temple was situated on the very spot where Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac, but instead sacrifice the ram that God provided. You want to know something really, really totally astounding? It was on this very mountain that God's one and only son, Jesus Christ, willingly laid down his life as our substitute, as the full and final sacrifice for our sin. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. We might say today, on the other side of history, on the mountain of the Lord, it was provided. How are you doing with the test? The test of ownership is a test of trust, it's a test of trust. What we think we own is really on loan. And what that means is that until he comes or calls us home, we're just managers. If you ever hear the word stewardship, that's what the word means. It means to be a manager of someone else's stuff. So are we acting like managers or are we acting like owners? Because what we think we own is really on loan we will each give an account for how we have managed the lives and the resources that God has given us on loan. How are we doing with the test? See, the biggest test in all of life is how we manage those resources, how we manage our money, our possessions, our treasures, our homes, our relationships, our gifts, our abilities, our skills. The tagline for this series is where ye treasure be, there be ye heart. Arg. It's a core teaching of Jesus. It's a universal spiritual principle. Our hearts, Jesus said, will always, always, always follow what they treasure. God wants your heart. And this is why the biggest test in all of life is our relationship to our treasure. Is it any wonder then that Jesus focused a full one third of his teaching on the subject of our relationship to our money and our stuff? And I heard about a teenage boy who was growing like a weed, not growing weed, but growing like a weed. Growing out of his shoes, you know the story. Growing out of his clothes every two weeks. Always, always, always ravenously hungry. Eating everything in sight. Mom couldn't keep groceries in the cupboards. This kid and his dad were together on a car one day when they passed McDonald's. Kid said, Dad, I'm starving. Get me a burger. So dad pulls into the drive-thru lane and says, What do you want, son? said, I want two... Quarter pounders with cheese. Combo meals. Super size me, please. So they went up to the window, placed the order, forked forked over the cash. Bags and bags of food were coming through the window. And as they're driving away, the kid's eating. Dad reaches over and he takes a fry. Kid says, hey! Dad gives him the most brilliant response of his life. He says, Hey, back at you. Who do you think paid for everything you got there? The son replies, "Oh, what we think we own, it's really on loan." That father would have, could have bought fifty more meals. Right? He just wanted one measly fry. How are you doing? the test of ownership you know what it's like when we fail to acknowledge God's ownership think about your home everything in your kids rooms you selected for them right I mean for the most part and you painted it you bought them the furnishings you paid for it right And as they get older, just to show their sincere appreciation, they put a big sign on their door that says, Keep out! What does that make you want to do? And that's really what we do to God when we choose to act like owners instead of managers. God is the provider of all things. He wants to be involved in our lives. He may ask for some of it back, and we say, Hey! Hey! That it all came from his hand. So in these next weeks, will you push in? Will you continue on this voyage with us? Will you ask yourself, am I being a pirate? Is there a mutiny on board or am I letting him captain this ship? So here's the thought I want to close with. If God doesn't own your stuff, he doesn't own your life. If God doesn't own your stuff, He doesn't own your life. And I want to, ask, want to ask you to ask yourself two questions throughout this coming week. First of all, where in my life am I acting like an owner instead of a manager of the things that have been trusted to me? Where in my life am I acting like an owner instead of a manager And then secondly, am I acknowledging God's ownership of my stuff? Or am I acting like a pirate? Where in my life am I acting like a pirate? Everything we own is really on loan from God. How are you doing with the test of ownership? Let's pray. Lord, everything we have... Comes from you. you. You own it all, everything in heaven and earth. Nothing is excluded from that. It's all yours. It was all yours in the beginning. It's all yours now. It will all be yours when everything's put back in the box at the end of our lives. It's all yours. Lord, will you help us to pass the test of ownership, to realize that everything we think we own. Everything that it appears we own is really on loan from you. And Lord, help us to live like managers and not like pirates. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.